And good morning, New City. So glad to be with you. It's a privilege to uh, be here uh, preaching and also just to get to know our partners. It's one of my great uh, honors and privileges just to get to know the churches that have a heart for our ministry and get to share a little bit with y'all about uh, what we do, what our, what our hearts uh, for the campus is. John shared a little bit of that in the introduction. Our, our heart is to reach and equip students uh, for Christ because uh, they are asking really pivotal questions in, in college, as you might imagine, uh, whether they know it or not. Uh, we, we see students all the time kind of asking underlying questions of, of who am I, what's my identity, um, what am I called to do? What, what's my purpose? Um, and relational questions like, who am I called to do life with? And we strongly believe the gospel has amazing answers to those questions. And so we seek to reach and equip students uh, in their knowledge of the gospel, to grow in grace, um, and to be able to come alongside them wherever they're at in their faith journey. Uh, but like John said, we are the campus ministry of the, the PCA, so we want to be honest about uh, the doctrines we hold. So we invite any and all college students, but we also want to let them know, hey, this is, this is what we believe Scripture teaches. This is what we believe um, uh, it means to be a disciple of Christ. And so it leads to amazing conversations uh, with students, and it's really fun to partner uh, with churches who also have a heart for reaching uh, students. So thank you so much for, for y'all's partnership. Um, this morning, our passage uh, comes from the Gospel of Mark, uh, but before we read it, uh, let's go to uh, God and ask him to shine his light on his word. Heavenly Father, uh, Son, Holy Spirit, uh, incline our hearts uh, to your testimonies and not to our own selfish gain. Uh, open our eyes that we might behold wondrous things from your word uh, and unite our hearts uh, this morning to fear your name and your name alone and satisfy us, satisfy us this morning with your steadfast love uh, that we might rejoice and be glad all our days. Amen. Our word is from Mark uh, chapter 1, verses 14 through 34. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in the boat, mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father, Zebedee, in the boat with hired servants and followed him. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent, come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed. So they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. 
And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever. And immediately they told him about her. And he came and he took her by the hand and lifted her up. And the fever left her. And she began to serve them. That evening at sundown they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Um, This morning I want to start with considering a question with you. Uh, The question uh, being, uh, what is your relationship with authority? Uh, It might be a question you've never considered, um, but I'd have us consider it because we all have a relationship with authority. Uh, Some good, some bad. Uh, You may have had experiences with with teachers um, who, as an authority, uh, taught out of impatience or cynicism. Uh, You might have had teachers who taught uh, with great patience and great hope. Uh, You might have had bosses who led you or your team uh, with uh, selfishness, dishonesty. You might have had bosses who have led you with um, selflessness and integrity. We all have relationships with authority, um, good and bad. And as you may have picked up on throughout this passage, Jesus has something to say about what good authority looks like and whose authority uh, that is to be. Um, Before we get into the details of this passage, just to kind of situate us in the Gospel of Mark, the passage we just read that we'll be going through comes right after the prologue or kind of the introduction of the Gospel of Mark. And Mark, as he writes his Gospel, really wants us to consider two main questions. Who is this man, Jesus, and what has he come to do? Throughout his gospel, he's positioning his listeners to answer those questions. And he does it in a number of ways. Um, But he wants us to be able to answer those two questions. And he kind of shows us after story after story, teaching after teaching, that the disciples don't truly get it, the crowds don't quite get it, the Pharisees don't quite get it. And then the gospel ends with basically saying, do you get it? Do you believe who this man is and what he's come to do? Now, Mark kind of shows his cards right at the beginning of the gospel. The first verse, he says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, the Son of God. Two confessions, Jesus Christ, one is found on the lips of his disciple Peter midway through the gospel. Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. And then one confession, the Son of God, is found on the lips of a Roman centurion at the very end, who after seeing the manner in which Jesus died, says, truly this man was the Son of God. Mark is hoping and positioning us to answer the question of who Jesus is with those uh, answers. And as he intros his gospel and kind of lays his cards on the table, he then begins to show how Jesus' ministry starts. And that's where our passage uh, uh, begins with this question of authority. And we all have a relationship with authority. Uh, James K. Smith is um, an author who I really enjoy. And in his book last year, On the Road with St. Augustine, he speaks a little bit about uh, this question of authority. His book, On the Road with St. Augustine, A Real-World Spirituality for Restless Hearts, uh, in it he writes of his work, it's a travelogue for the heart. It's a road trip with a prodigal, referring to St. Augustine, who has already been where you think you need to go. One of the stops on this road trip uh, is a place uh, where we think we need to go is the stop of freedom, particularly the freedom from authority or freedom from constraint. Um, 
in this, he uses an illustration to kind of drive this point home, uh, talking about this movie, Lady Bird. Uh, it's this it's the story about a young woman, a young heroine, who names herself uh, Lady Bird. And he writes this of the movie, James Smith does, Tired of the bored, backward, backwaters of Sacramento, bristling at the nagging authority of the mother, of her mother, embarrassed by her father's lack of ambition, this young heroine refuses even the name she was given, the imposition that it is, demanding to be called Lady Bird is just one of her acts of defiance as she chomps at the bit to get away to college. Is that your given name, a teacher asks her? Yes, I gave it to myself. It's given to me by me. See, Lady Bird, and oftentimes our own hearts, we think freedom is giving ourselves our own name. We think our, uh, our relationship with authority is we are, we are self-ruled, we're, we're autonomous. We, we get the last say of what uh, we believe, what our actions are. And what Jesus is doing at the very beginning of his ministry in this passage is he's saying authority is found somewhere else. Authority is found in me. So we're going to see this in two points. Uh, the first is uh, that he is the king over all areas of our life. Uh, and the second is uh, that his call, this king's call, transforms all of life. And so let's take a look. So the first thing we see is he is beginning his ministry, uh, ministry and he says, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now one, one thing we need to consider is what is meant there by kingdom? You know, so often we think of kingdom as a geographical area, and a classic example would be like the United Kingdom, and the borders of the United Kingdom only extend so far, and the rules of the United Kingdom only extend within those borders. It doesn't have relevance to Egypt or Russia, but only within the United Kingdom. But what's meant by the kingdom here? It's not a geographical area. In fact, it actually is referring to an activity it's referring to the rule and the reign of God. And Jesus is saying the kingdom, the rule and the reign of God is here. How are we going to respond? He shows these responses in, 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 in kind of five different areas. The first one is in verses 16 and 17. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. This is the first area we see that he has authority over our lives. It's, it's authority over our vocation. He has authority over what we do for, for work. Uh, and now he completely transforms uh, these guys' vocation, calls them away from being fishermen to being fishers of men. Um, and so often we think of that as like uh, getting into evangelism or uh, uh, missions. And, and that may be what, what Jesus is calling us to uh, through this passage this morning. Uh, we have... Uh, my uh, work with RUF is the campus um, ministry of the denomination, but we also have a, uh, a missions organization for the denomination called Mission to the World. And they've got this challenge going on right now uh, that if all the, all the uh, PCA churches in our um, denomination would give 1%, 1% of their members to missions, to becoming missionaries, uh, that would basically provide 3,000 new min uh, ministers of the gospel to areas of the world that need it. And that may be what the Lord is calling you to, to prayerfully consider, is he calling me to transform my vocation, uh, to seek his kingdom uh, by going wherever he calls? He may, though, be calling you in the invitation to see his authority over your vocation, to transform your vocation right where you are. 
Uh, he might be calling you to transform the way that you interact with your coworkers, the way that you pursue your mission uh, through your business. He may be asking you to submit that mission, those values, underneath the values of his kingdom, underneath his authority. He may be transforming you in that way and calling you to transform in that way. Uh, the second area in this passage we see is in verses 18 and 19. It says, And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in the boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants. He has authority over our relationships. He calls them to leave father. He calls them to leave these hired servants who more would have been like co-workers that they've worked alongside for their whole life. And Jesus says, I have authority over that area too. I'm calling you to submit that area of your life uh, to me. Now, this would have been a a radical call uh, in this Middle Eastern context to leave family. Um, It probably doesn't strike us as strongly as it would have struck Mark's original listeners. Um, But we kind of can get the sense of it in other places of the gospel when he says, follow me. And a man responds, okay, but let let me go bury my father first. And Jesus says, no, 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 let the dead bury their own dead. You must come and follow me and proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. Um, that's, a strong, that's a strong invitation. Um, now, it has a little bit different context. It, it's not meaning that his father has just died. It probably more so is meaning that let me take care of my parents uh, well into their old age, and, and after they have passed, then I will come and follow you. And Jesus says, no, your loyalty must be to my authority and my kingdom first. So that's what he calls uh, us to. This third area is uh, we see when he enters the synagogue, he is calling us to submit to his authority in the area of our intellect, of our mind, of submitting to his teaching. Uh, That's the first time in this passage that word actually shows up of authority. Um, He is teaching and they respond, who is this that teaches with authority? Not as the scribes and the Pharisees do. And we're going through the Sermon on the Mount with our freshmen, um, and it's been a really fun, I've, it's been like the highlight of my weeks of um, going through the Sermon on the Mount with these freshmen. They ask incredible questions, and it's an amazing sermon. But you may recall in there, when Jesus teaches, he'll often say, you've heard that it was said, but I say to you. And he's equating there his teaching, his words with the very words of God, the very words of Scripture. Um, he's saying, my authority is on that level. In other places in the Gospel of John, he'll say, verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say to you. Uh, That word there is amen, amen. And what he's doing is he will say that at the beginning of his teaching. And what would happen is typically rabbis would go to different synagogues and they would teach. And the leaders of that synagogue would hear the rabbi's teaching. And in response, they would say, amen. This is trustworthy. This is true. Or so be it. Uh, we, we, We trust this teaching. And what Jesus is saying at, at saying that word at the very beginning of his teaching is, I take away your privilege to decide whether or not what I'm saying is true. I'm telling you it is true. I'm telling you my word can be trustworthy and true, and you must submit to it. I am king over your intellect. I'm king over your mind. This next part we see that he has authority over is our spiritual life. Um, Quite a uh, crazy story. Um, he's, he's teaching in this synagogue, and a man with an unclean spirit cries out. Uh, and his only response is, be silent and come out of him. And immediately, the demon leaves him. 
convulses him. And what we see here is just as light has authority over darkness, Jesus has authority over uh, this unclean spirit and, and demons. And so they must submit to his word. They must submit uh, to his teaching. And now, maybe, maybe you're new to church or you've, you've just come back to church or a relatively new Christian and you hear this and you're like, what is going on with demon possession? What's going on in the synagogue? How do I make uh, sense of this? Um, you are not alone in questioning um, um, in our culture, our Western culture, of, of what goes on uh, with evil spirits. But as many pastors uh, have encouraged uh, their followers, um, even though I don't have time to answer all your questions, I would encourage you similarly to doubt your doubts, uh, to wonder not whether or not that doubt of whether evil spirits or unclean spirits might exist or if they have influence in this world, uh, if that's culturally formed. Uh, similarly to... The, the previous one of uh, we must submit our family, uh, our relationships. Um, if I were to preach this text in Eastern culture, that probably would have been the section that most people would have had doubts or questions about. Um, and so I would just invite you to question of whether or not, if you have doubts in that area, if uh, those doubts are culturally formed. Um, then the, the final section we see that he's calling us to submit um, our lives to, that he has authority over, is uh, our, our physical health. Uh, he is king over our bodies. And we see that through the healing of Simon's mother-in-law. And now what, what all of these different examples are doing is Jesus is, uh, and I've, I've said it already, he's showing that he has authority and kingship over every area of life. And so often what we do is, if, if you're like me, if, if, you're, if you're a human being, you have areas of your life that are going well and areas of your life that are really struggling. And so often what we do is we kind of approach God as uh, someone who might be able to offer us support or help, and so we invite him into that area that we're struggling. Uh, we invite him to uh, take a look at our marriage when we just can't stop arguing. Uh, we might invite him to take a look into our career when we just can't uh, find a purpose or, or a job. We'll invite him into those areas uh, that we're struggling. But the things that we feel like we have a handle on, the things that we feel like are going well, oftentimes uh, we, we won't invite him into those areas. We, we don't want him to meddle uh, there oftentimes. When in reality, he is calling us to submit every single area of our life to him. I want you to imagine your, your life in all those different areas um, are kind of before you. And you are, you're sitting on a throne of sorts. And you've got your career, you've got your relationships, you've got what you do for pleasure, what you do for entertainment. And all of those are before you. And what, what Jesus is inviting us to this morning through this passage is for him to be on that throne for him to be on the throne and us take every area of our life to him and submit it uh, to him. You may be here this morning and never have done that in your life. You've never, as the psalmist says, Lord, you are my Lord. There's no good in me. If that's you this morning, I would invite you to see his kingship for the first time as Lord over every area of your life. Maybe you've been walking with him for years, um, but like me, you need to repent over and over and over again. Bring all areas of your life back under his rule and reign. And, and that's exactly what we uh, describe repentance is. It's a turning back of, of a returning to him, acknowledging his authority and lordship over our life because he has kingship over every area. One of my favorite uh, quotes that kind of captures this is a theologian uh, named Abraham Kuyper, and he puts it this way. 
There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. He's king over all. That's the first thing we see in this passage. Uh, The second thing is that this king's call transforms all of life. Um, So just as he's king over all, every every area of his call transforms uh, every area of our life. He says uh, in verse 17, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Now, there's a couple of uh, metaphors we need to understand there. What is a fisher of men? And then also this idea that shows up in the Old Testament and New Testament of what, is, what does the sea kind of represent? Uh, what does the ocean represent? Well, in, in the Old Testament, fishers of men uh, was this phrase referring to uh, the, the enemies of God's people, basically. Um, when things were going uh, good for the people of God, they were prospering in the land, uh, they failed to do justice. They failed to take care of the widow and the orphan. They failed to follow and be doers of the word, as we just heard in, in the children's message. And so they were taken into exile. And the ones taking them into exile, into the place of judgment, were fishers, fishers of men. Uh, we see this in Amos and Ezekiel and a couple other places in the Old Testament. Um, and so these were the people that were bringing them into a place of judgment. But in the prophet Jeremiah, there's another reference uh, that I want to look at real briefly. It says in Jeremiah 16, 14, Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when it shall no longer be said, as the Lord lives, who brought up the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt, But as the Lord lives, who brought up the people of Israel out of the north country and out of all the countries where he had driven them, for I will bring them back to their own land that I gave to their fathers. Behold, I am sending for many fishers, declares the Lord, and they shall catch them. And afterward, I will send for many hunters, and they shall hunt them from every mountain and every hill and out of the clefts of the rocks. This is beautiful imagery that Jesus is doing of he's transforming uh, what a fisher of, of man is. And he's transforming our, our lives as well and the call on our lives. Uh, he's calling us to participate in reaching all areas of life, every human being, and giving them the opportunity to see his lordship over every area of life. That is the call he's giving us. And he's transforming the way uh, that we do it. Now, so often uh, I jump to the how-to Okay, how, how do I do that, Hardy? Like, what, what do I need to do? Well, I want to first just pause on the all-important question of who. Who is doing this in this passage? And in verse 17, we see this promise. It says, I, I will make you become fishers of men. He's doing it. Jesus is taking responsibility for this transformation. He's the one doing it. He has promised that he will accomplish it in his people. He is the one who will transform us. So before jumping to the how-to, okay, how do I do this? What do I need to do? Let that promise rest on your hearts that he will be the one who does this. I don't know if you've ever been driving through a neighborhood and you've seen um, a father washing a car in a driveway. So often uh, the kids join with that activity. Uh, so often they're out there with their sponges and uh, they're getting distracted. They're playing in the yard and then they come back and they've dropped their sponges in the dirt and they're washing the parts of the car that have already been washed and slinging mud back on the car. Um, it is not efficient. Um, but so often those kids are there by invitation of the father. 
They are participating because they want to be about what the Father's work is about. They are there because the Father delights to have them participating. And so what I want us to hear is God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit does not need us to advance his cause in this world. He is taking responsibility for it. He does not need you and me, but he wants us. He wants us to participate in this work. He wants us to seek his kingdom. He wants us to be about the work that he's about. And he promises to accomplish that in us. That's what it looks like to be a fisher of man. Now, how do we do that? That is an important question. I don't want to skip over that. Um, Where do we do that? That's an important question. But it needs to be rooted in the who. Um, So, how do we answer how? Um, I've got a buddy uh, who's a good golfer and has a little bit too much East Tennessee in him. And whenever I golf with him, he'll uh, say, man, that was a good stroke, but your towards was off. Um, and what he's meaning is I hit it good, but it didn't go in the direction I needed it to go. My, my towards was off. Um, and, and we need to make sure our towards is on. Uh, as believers, we need to know what we're aiming at. Um, and in order to do that, I think we need to see uh, where all this is heading. What, what's the promise that we've been given? Um, and maybe this is even a uh, central passage to your church as, as New City, but it's Revelation 21. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Pause. Um, there's, that, there's that reference to the sea. Um, and that's not saying that in the new heavens and new earth, there won't be water, but what it's saying is the sea represents chaos, it represents uh, death, it represents destruction, it represents judgment. And in the new heavens and new earth, that will be no more. There will be no more death, there will be no more destruction, there will be no more sin. That will not be present. Why? Let's read on. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. This amazing, beautiful imagery is how we get our towards, how we get our direction, where do we go be fishers of men? It is wherever there is sin, wherever, wherever there is sickness, wherever there is destruction, wherever there are tears, that's where we go. One of my favorite singer-songwriters is uh, Andrew Peterson, and he has this song called After the Last Tear Falls. And some of its lyrics go like this. It says, after the last tear falls, after the last secrets told, after the last bullet tears through flesh and bone, after the last year that's just too hard, there is love. After the last disgrace, after the last lie to save some face, after the last brutal jab from a poisoned tongue, after the last dirty politician, after the last meal down at the mission, after the last lonely night in prison, there is love. What Peterson and what Revelation 21 is is capturing is everything sad is coming untrue, and the person at the center of that is Jesus Christ, who's saying that he will surely do it. And he is inviting us to participate in that by being fishers of men, by proclaiming uh, the gospel into this broken world. 
And so to be a fisher of man is to go wherever there is the presence of sin. Uh, you could say it this way, wherever there is grief, we as fishers men are called to be presence of comfort. Wherever there is slander, we as fishers of men are called to be a presence of honor. Uh, wherever there is violence, we are called to be a presence of peace. Wherever there is lies, we as fishers men are called uh, to seek truth. Wherever there's corruption, we are called to be a presence of integrity. And wherever there is sin, we as fishers of men are called to go and proclaim the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, to proclaim his kingdom, that it is he, he that has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his light. That is what we proclaim. That is the message that we have, that we take, and that we trust in. Let's pray.